Hello world, this is Roger Corvale and this is For the Hope. Here we read through the Bible conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. In his commentary on Romans, Grant Osborne writes this. One of the great difficulties in every church is deciding between unity and purity on specific issues. The Bible demands unity, but it also demands purity, as in the diatribes against false teachers in Galatians, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, the pastoral epistles, 2 Peter, and so on. The question is when to greet an issue with tolerance and when to be intolerant. A major example of how to handle a situation that demands tolerance when a church is greeting you with intolerance is found in what Roger's going to read to you in today's podcast. Hey, Hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we lean into God's story together, uh, and hopefully to better live out our own life and work stories, and in this case, a sense of pursuing love and unity in community. Let's dive right in. Romans chapter 14. Welcome anyone who is weak in the faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not judge one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord he stands or fails, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else's judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day, observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy, by what you eat, someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. 
So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It is a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. All right. Well, there you go. You know, I'm going to confess one quickie thing here before I move on. Um, here, you know, here's, here's Paul admonishing two groups, basically, to stop fighting. He was addressing something specific in the people that he was writing to, right? So there's kind of like four pieces here. Stop fighting. And hey, you strong people, don't cause your opponents to stumble by overemphasizing your freedom. And understand and tolerate the weak. And finally, accept the other on the model of Christ's acceptance of both Jew and Gentile. Now, I say this because it would be easy to read this and say, well, faith is all a matter of interpretation. But notice Paul's talking about secondary or tertiary issues. Hey, here's an example, right? One person thinks they're going to hell if they drink a glass of wine, and one person doesn't. That's not an issue of salvation. But here's a, here's a common fallacy. It would be wrong in a relativistic sense to go, they're both right. Are you with me? Right? Law of logic. A cannot equal not A in the same way and at the same time. Right? They can't both be right if one of them is right. They could both be wrong, but they can't both be right. I say this because he's talking about stuff like food regulations and um, their Sabbath observance. And meaning these are not issues of salvation. The question is, even if you're the strong one and you have a conviction and you can out-argue the other person, don't. <laughs> Lord knows I've failed at that enough times. Mm, forgive me, Lord. Hey, as we turn back to our Old Testament segment, we're moving into uh, the close of Jeremiah. And I want to just call to mind a big picture thought. In a way, the Bible is about a tale of two cities, right? There's Jerusalem and Babylon in the context we're in right now. But when we get to the New Testament, it's Jerusalem and Rome, which is also referred to Babylon, if you read like the book of Revelation. So with the formation of the church in the New Testament, the history of the world has become, in a sense, this tale of two cities, a city of God and a city of man. And the reason I bring all of that up is because the last two chapters in Jeremiah are long, and it's all about Babylon. What's the big picture? What do we know about God? God takes sin seriously, and those who are in positions of influence will be held to account. Jeremiah chapter 50. This is the word that the Lord spoke about Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, through the prophet Jeremiah. Announce to the nations, proclaim and raise up a signal flag, proclaim and hide nothing. Say, Babylon is captured, Bel is put to shame, Marduk 
is terrified. Her idols are put to shame, her false gods devastated. For a nation from the north will attack her, it will make her land desolate. No one will be living in it, both people and animals will escape. In those days and at that time, this is the Lord's declaration, the Israelites and Judeans will come together, weeping as they come, and they will seek the Lord their God. They will ask about Zion, turning their faces to this road. They will come and join themselves to the Lord in a permanent covenant that will never be forgotten. My people were lot, by the way. That's you and me, friends. That's the new covenant. I'm going to read that again. They will ask about Zion, turning their faces to this road. They will come and join themselves to the Lord in a permanent covenant that will never be forgotten. My people were lost sheep. Their shepherds led them astray, guiding them the wrong way in the mountains. They wandered from mountain to hill. They forgot their resting place. Whoever found them devoured them. Their adversaries said, We're not guilty. Instead, they have sinned against the Lord, their righteous grazing land, the hope of their ancestors, the Lord. Escape from Babylon. Depart from the Chaldeans' land. Be like the rams that lead the flock. For I will soon stir up and bring against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country. They will line up in battle formation against her. From there she will be captured. Their arrows will be like a skilled warrior who does not return empty-handed. The Chaldeans will become plunder. All Babylon's plunderers will be fully satisfied. This is the Lord's declaration. Because you rejoice, because you celebrate, you who plundered my inheritance, because you frolic like a young cow treading grain and neigh like stallions, your mother will be utterly humiliated. She who bore you will be put to shame. Look, she will lag behind all the nations, an arid desert, a wilderness. Because of the Lord's wrath, she will not be inhabited. She will become a desolation, every bit of her. Everyone who passes through Babylon will be appalled and scoff because of all her words. Line up in battle formation around Babylon, all you archers. Look at her. Do not spare an arrow, for she, she has sinned against the Lord. Raise a war cry against her on every side. She has thrown up her hands in surrender. Her defense towers have fallen. Her walls are demolished. Since this is the Lord's vengeance, take your vengeance on her as she has done. Do the same to her. Cut off the sower from Babylon, as well as him who wields the sickle at harvest time. Because of the oppressor's sword, each will turn to his own people. Each will flee to his own land. The Return of God's People Israel is a stray lamb, chased by lions. The first who devoured him was the king of Assyria. The last who crushed his bones was King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Therefore, this is what the Lord of Armies, the God of Israel, says, I am about to punish the king of Babylon and his land, just as I punished the king of Assyria. I will return Israel to his grazing land, and he will be and he will feed on Carmel and Bashan. He will be satisfied in the hill country of Ephraim and of Gilead. In those days and at that time, this is the Lord's declaration, one will search for Israel's iniquity, but there will be none, and for Judah's sins, but they will not be found. 
for I will forgive those I leave as a remnant. The Invasion of Babylon Attack the land of Marathaim and those living in Pecod. Put them to the sword. Completely destroy them. This is the Lord's declaration. Do everything I have commanded you. The sound of war is in the land, a crushing blow. How the hammer of the whole earth is cut down and smashed. What a horror Babylon has become among the nations. Babylon, I laid a trap for you and you were caught, and you did not even know it. You were found and captured because you pitted yourself against the Lord. My friends, what was the, what was the crime, ultimate crime there? You pitted yourself against the Lord. Remember how, pause, remember how David prayed? Um, uh, it was Psalm 51, right after he got busted with the whole Bathsheba thing. And he goes, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. Right? Remember how we talked yesterday or a couple days ago about Romans 13, saying all authority is delegated, right? The responsibility goes back up the chain. And I'll quit riffing now. You were found and captured because you pitted yourself against the Lord. The Lord opened his armory and brought out his weapons of wrath because it is a task of the Lord God of armies in the land of the Chaldeans. Come against her from the most distant places. Open her granaries. Pile her up like mounds of grain and completely destroy her. Leave her no survivors. Put all her young bulls to the sword. Let them go down to the slaughter. Woe to them, because their day has come, the time of their punishment. The Humiliation of Babylon There is a voice of fugitives and refugees from the land of Babylon. The voice announces in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God, the vengeance for his temple. Summon the archers to Babylon, all who string the bow. Camp all around her, let no one escape. Repay her according to her deeds, just as she has done. Do the same to her. For she has acted arrogantly against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. Therefore her young men will fall in her public squares. All the warriors will perish in that day. This is the Lord's declaration. Look, I am against you, you arrogant one. This is the declaration of the Lord God of armies. For your day has come, the time when I will punish you. The arrogant will stumble and fall with no one to pick him up. I will set fire to his cities, and it will consume everything around him. Next section, the desolation of Babylon. I'm going to say one more thing. Uh, to me, a lot of this stuff, right, the command is like, Israel, Israel, go do this. But remember here, what God is executing is his justice in the form of capital punishment or something like that. He might be using through Israel, but God is just and fair and good, right? So we should not read this kind of thing as some people do and go, oh, it's up to us to go, to go execute justice that belongs to God, to be fair, right? In the New Testament sense, we know we even submit to government and love our neighbor. Crazy turn. Wish we had more time to go into that. The Desolation of Babylon this is what the Lord of Armies says. Israelites and Judeans alike have been oppressed. All their captors hold them fast. They refuse to release them. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of Armies is his name. 
He will fervently champion their cause so that he might bring rest to the earth, but turmoil to those who live in Babylon. A sword is over the Chaldeans. This is the Lord's declaration. Against those who live in Babylon, against her officials, and against her sages. A sword is against the diviners, and they will act foolishly. A sword is against her heroic warriors, and they will be terrified. A sword is against his chariots and horses, and against all the foreigners among them, and they will be like women. A sword is against her treasuries, and they will be plundered. A drought will come up on her waters, and they will be dried up. For it is a land of carved images, and they go mad because of terrifying things. Therefore, desert creatures will live with hyenas, and ostriches will also live in her. It will never again be inhabited or lived in through all generations. Just as God demolished Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, this is the Lord's declaration, so no one will live there. No human being will stay in it even temporarily as a temporary resident. The Conquest of Babylon Look, a people comes from the north. A great nation and many kings will be stirred up from the remote regions of the earth. They grasp bow and javelin. They are cruel and show no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea, and they ride on horses, lined up like men in battle formation against you, daughter Babylon. The king of Babylon has heard about them. His hands have become weak. Distress has seized him. Pain like a woman in labor. Look, it will be like a lion coming from the thickets of the Jordan to the watered grazing land. I will chase Babylon away from her land in a flash. I will appoint whoever is chosen for her. For who is like me? Who will issue me a summons? Who is the shepherd who can stand against me? Therefore hear the plans of the Lord that the Lord has drawn up against Babylon and the strategies he had devised against the land of the Chaldeans. Certainly the flock's little lambs will be dragged away. Certainly the grazing land will be made desolate because of them. At the sound of Babylon's conquest, the earth will quake and a cry will be heard among the nations. And that is uh, Jeremiah 50. And tomorrow will be our last chapter in Jeremiah. And I'm going to warn you now, it's a long one. All about Babylon. (laughs) But perhaps fittingly, for our wisdom segment today, we begin into Proverbs 16, which is, kind of broadly speaking, Proverbs on God's sovereignty over all of life. So let's just knock down a couple. We'll call her a day. Proverbs 16.1. The reflections of the heart belong to mankind, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs motives. I'm going to say that one again. All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs motives. My friends, it's one thing to say God is sovereign, but I think it's another thing to really believe that he's good, right? Particularly when we read stuff like doom and destruction in the Old Testament. And I guess my question for you might be just a wrap up right there. Do we actually believe that he is for us? As we read 
Whether you're on the strong end of things or you're on the weak end of things, whether you have utter confidence in the Bible or you're just kind of checking all this stuff out and really have some questions, do you believe that God is good? And more importantly, if our ways seem right to us, but God weighs the motives, the question is, who are we going to trust? Honestly, I'm not going to say it's easy. I think the only path forward is trusting God over myself, which is why we read the Bible. (laughs) And, uh, And we'll do that again tomorrow. I love you. Amen. Amen.